if I've got, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes and I want a quick release, you know the kind, I know the exact toy that'll do the trick. Or I know the exact friction and rhythm to deliver with my hands in order to do it too. But if I want to slow things way down for a totally different experience, when I'm not in a rush, when I can spend some true quality time with myself, there's some very specific accessories that I like to grab. Sometimes I blindfold myself or I dim the lights really low. Sometimes I use a feather up and down my arms while vibey music plays in the background. Sometimes I get as much of my body involved as I possibly can. I run my hands through my hair, down my face, and I let my fingers dance all over the surface of my skin. I put pressure on my inner thighs. I take my sweet time seducing myself before ever touching my genitals. And when I'm properly warmed up and efficiently lubed up, one of my favorite new bedroom accessories to reach for is the Oh My C from Ioba. I'm not sure what mechanism is in this thing, but the toy has a little nub that rotates at different speeds, so it mimics the sensation of being orally stimulated. It's nice, it's light, and it's quiet. Sometimes the sounds of my toys can actually take me out of my experience, so a softer, quieter toy is incredibly appreciated. I make sure to take deep breaths as I let the pleasure and sensation build, breathing it throughout my body, and when the time is just right, I pick up the speed of the rotation and I ride a full body wave of ecstasy. This is one of many acts of devotion I choose to regularly deliver to myself. And it's not about what my partner can or cannot give to me. It's about taking time to be with myself in my pleasure, doing anything and everything that feels good for me. If you're looking for a quiet, high-quality, beginner-friendly, super-cute vibe that doesn't actually vibe too hard, my personal recommendation is the Oh My See from Ioba. See the show notes for details and a discount. I'm Alexa, also known as That Sex Chick. And if you haven't guessed it by now, I love talking about sex. Not only talking about it, but I'm obsessed with helping you create an epic sex life while cultivating deeply fulfilling relationships. There's so much more to the conversation than just the act of sex itself, which is why I created this podcast. You can expect this show to be packed with resources, advice, experts, and everyday people talking about how they have created the best sex and love lives for them. If you are ready to take responsibility for your pleasure, then you are in the right place. Now, let's go talk sex, shall we? This is a Soulfire production. Joining me on the show today, I have Cam Frazier. Cam is a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor, and registered tantric yoga teacher. His work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions. As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-oriented sexual experiences free of anxiety or shame. Today, we'll be talking about things like the myths around masculinity, prostate orgasms, erection challenges, and premature ejaculation. It's a juicy episode and it is right up my alley. Just enough of the sprinkle of woo mixed with the very grounded scientific information and all of the updated, I would say, sex education that you can 
even access right now. Cam is such a delight to talk to. I would have loved to have had a podcast go for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And we decently crossed over the hour 20-ish minutes for this episode. And that's because I couldn't stop him. It was too good. This episode is so needed. It's unlike anything that I've recorded for the show yet. And I know that y'all will enjoy it so much. Ooh, I am so excited to have this conversation. I have so many conversations with chicks on the show. And so bringing another guy onto, you know, other than my partner, my partner and I have conversations pretty frequently for the show. And I have Dominic Cartuccio, who's been a previous guest, who you and I both know. One of my good friends, Steph Fondos, has been on the show. But primarily, I'm talking to female identifying characters. And we're talking about female, male, more or less heteronormative kind of dynamics. And our listenership is about 70% female. So I don't really have the opportunity, nor do I come across people who can specifically talk on the male perspective and who have so much knowledge and background on dicks. And I'm so excited to bring everybody this conversation. Cam, thank you so much for coming on to that sex chick. Yeah, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a very fun, I think very fun conversation. I certainly hope that I learn a thing or two uh, because I love someone who has a penis. And anytime I can get an insider scoop, you know, I think for him, he's got great language, but it does have limitations. So anytime that I have a conversation with someone who's really, really versed in this subject, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to take a note. <laughs> I do get a lot of uh, very interesting questions on a day-to-day basis, particularly from um, people like yourself, just women that have you know, male partners. And they're like, what do I do with this thing between his legs? You know, when it goes soft, what do I do? When it goes hard, what do I do? What's What's the mystery behind it? So there's yeah. a um, there's a lot of things that, that that I like to talk about, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to jump in. Mm. And how can I look at the the dick that's attached to the dick owner that I love, and go, what about you? Do I need to understand to get inside his head and inside of his heart a little bit more? So, first of all, I love your Instagram. Oh, thanks. Because it is primarily hand drawings or cartoons of penises, which I've already had my account come down uh, once and I've had several images come down for breaching content law. (laughs) So anytime I see someone who's crushing the game and doing it and kind of working around, like really landing their sex educator role and who is able to share accurate information along with genitalia or something that is sex specific, but it doesn't inherently have a sexual context. Like we're not selling sex. I'm like, kudos to you. You are doing great work in the world though. I'm sure your Instagram has come under fire at a time or two. It certainly has. And, um, I, I jokingly say that I'm just kind of counting the days until my Instagram account gets deleted, but, um, yeah, fingers crossed that it doesn't. And I guess the intention like behind putting up, um, which I, I like to call my dick pics uh, onto Instagram is um, like I saw a, a bunch of amazing, beautiful artwork that was um, vulva oriented, vulva centric. And uh, I, was, I was just like, oh, this is like really cool. And where's the representation for you know, male genitalia for penises? And, and so I just kind of was like, didn't really see anyone else really doing it, especially in like the sex educator 
space. And so I put some stuff up there and people loved it. People wanted to see it. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of took it and run with it and started finding some really cool artists that are quite, um, I guess like they don't have a huge following. So I was able to kind of signal boost them a little bit as well with my you know, moderate, modest platform. And it's been a really interesting and fun kind of journey to connect with, um, artists as well. Yeah, for sure. And I've seen a few accounts that are the artist and they are like the images are so hot and so great, but the caption really isn't there because they're the artist. And my, I've seen a couple where they might tell a little story, but it's a personal experience thing, not from an educator perspective. And so mm. I was really, really excited to see both of the things in one location. And, you know, being in this space for a while, I see, you know, I'm going to use men's coach with air quotes and just kind of airy fairy, like masculine, feminine, and just kind of this floaty flowery, you know, the wind blows a little too hard and that man falls over with it. And I just like see a lot of that kind of energy and that kind of person in this space. And so to see the grounded science and just like the, this, oh, this person's on earth and also is weaving in the spirituality and the the conversation about masculine and feminine dynamics. Like it's a really, you're doing really great work from where I say, I mean, if it matters to you, I just want to let you know that I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I imagine that there has been a, a life process that has occurred for you in order to get to being one of Australia's leading sex coaches. And I am here for the story. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start with your journey into this work. How did you get here? Yeah, this is a, um, I, I, I always get asked this question and I kind of answer it uh, slightly different depending on kind of the mood that I'm in um, each time. And, and I guess what's kind of coming up for me today as I share this is it kind of started when I was, I suppose, in my late teens, my, my mid to late teens. And I, I left Australia to go and study in America uh, when I was 17 and I went over on a sporting scholarship. I used to play competitive soccer and I was, yeah, I was a young, a young buck, you know, as they say, and went over and, and, you know, kind of immersed myself in the, the kind of collegiate athlete lifestyle and uh, was part of the, the locker room kind of culture that we've probably heard about. And it was, it was that, yeah, kind of jock lifestyle and it wasn't, it wasn't um, super healthy. You know, I can, I say that in, in retrospect, it was very damaging to my mental health. Um, I was uh, like, I treated people badly. I treated myself badly. Um, I was drinking a lot, right? That kind of fraternity culture as well. I was very much um, kind of sucked into as, as an Australian. You, you, I, that's kind of what I saw when I was thinking of like American college lifestyle. Um, so it was very uh, enticing to me as kind of a, a young dude with like long hair and coming from like a pretty um, irreligious background. I was, you know, I kind of fell into it and, and this kind of created a, um, a space for me to be, um, well, I guess maybe to not be, uh, I should say the man that I kind of, uh, felt like I, I should, uh, I was, uh, I look back and I'm, I, I feel embarrassed by like who I was back then. And, uh, but I, I speak about it, uh, as much as possible because I think it's really important to share that part of my life because i think it resonates with where a lot of guys have been um or, or even are at the moment and that was things like because i was drinking so much for a period of five years during that, that time in college like probably every sexual experience i had during that time was was 
uh, under the influence of alcohol, there, w- there wasn't a sober experience um, in that whole five years. And, and kind of because of that, I kind of lent on the, the, the booze and, and was suffering from erectile dysfunction because of it. So alcohol-induced erectile dysfunction. And uh, I was, you know, premature ejaculation as well because I was really tense and tight and, and anxious about things, had a lot of performance anxiety because my masculinity and my ego was tied into like how well I performed in the bedroom and then going and talking to my mates, my soccer mates about it and just kind of emphasizing the wrong things. And it was all qual- uh, it was quantity over quality in terms of like sexual experiences. And, and so it was just this like really, uh, the word toxic gets thrown around a lot and that kind of resonates for me. It was a really toxic space for, for five years. Um, and I, I was, um, kind of, I, I kind of woke up from that, uh, with a serious injury. I, I injured my lower back. I fractured my spine mm-hmm. and from, from rehabilitation, which was clinical Pilates and yoga and massage. And I was introduced to meditation and breath work through, through that, um, kind of healing modality it was kind of through those those modalities that I listened to my body for the first time, like actually slowed down and realized how much tension and tightness I was holding onto. And when I started releasing that tension and tightness at a kind of physical level, the emotions that I'd been holding onto, the, mm-hmm. the stuff I kind of pushed down, um, the, the kind of the sadness and the, 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 the grief and the frustration and the anger that I'd been holding onto started to started to surface in me. And there was many times halfway through a yoga class that I broke down into tears or, um, you know, during a Pilates session, I just got really frustrated and angry because I couldn't do a particular exercise. Um, the simplest like little thing. So this like rage would build up in me. And, and so I, I was given an opportunity to kind of process those. And so in conjunction with these body-based therapies, I went and did some talk therapy as well, went and saw a counselor and started processing kind of the mental health side of things. And I started to notice that the way I was interacting with people started to shift and it, it started to shift actually quite dramatically, particularly with the, I mean, both with women and men, but particularly with, with women, I felt a lot more comfortable kind of being myself. I didn't feel like I had to put on this weird macho masculine mask of, of um, you know, this dominant aggressive kind of stereotype that we think kind of men have to be. and because of that, I was able to connect kind of more intimately with them and, and I was able to talk more and communicate more and express my desires and, and actually ask them, you know, what their desires were and, and what they were into. And so the sex ended up being better. And because I was less stressed and less tight and less tense, I wasn't having a lot of sexual function issues anymore. Um, you know, I became more comfortable and confident kind of talking about my sexuality and expressing it. So I wasn't outsourcing it to to porn as much anymore as well as a period of time where I was watching a lot of porn and it I just kind of saw this shift in the way that I showed up as a man and that like really intrigued me I was like whoa like all this stuff's kind of happening for me I didn't want to drink as much anymore I was I just felt like really healthy like holistically healthy and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I was studying psychology at the time and then I was doing all this kind of body-based work that was really helping and I realized they kind of both are heading towards the same thing, which is this kind of transformation, right? Through talk therapy, you kind of transform um, and almost like transmute emotions and, and to come to a, a, a new stage in your life. And through body-based work, you kind of do the same thing. You transform mm-hmm. pain or trauma in the body and you kind of get to the next point in your life. And, and so I was like, where's this overlap? Where's this kind of gray area between these two things? Because you're either like 
talk therapy camp and, and psychology you know, based or you're like physiotherapy or, or body based. And there's not a lot of overlap, unfortunately. Uh, so I was really keen on exploring that. And the avenue that that looked like for me was like the sacred sexuality kind of neo-tantra space um, with like a, a kind of sprinkling of yoga in there. So I, I you know, did my yoga teacher training and, and went to India and, and did like a lot of sexuality workshops where there was like elements of gestalt therapy in there. And then there was like some like sexuality uh, running like that sexual energy. And, and it was just really, um, it was really interesting and intriguing and it kind of resonated a lot for me, but I was kind of still craving that deeper, like, okay, why does this work? Or, or where is this coming from? What's the theory behind this? That kind of academic kind of groundedness, mm-hmm. solidness that I really um, that I really find beneficial for myself and my own learnings to go kind of go a little bit deeper with the understanding. Uh, and so I wanted to tie in that kind of experience that I was having in that sacred sexuality space with some, with some theory, with some solid kind of academic study. So I, I wanted to pursue um, human sexuality through, you know, graduate degrees in psych, uh, uh, sorry, in counseling and in sexology. Uh, and I, I kind of, tried to marry those two things up as much as possible. I, I was working as a yoga teacher for a little while before um, being a, a sex coach. And, and then I worked as a counselor and then I worked as a support worker. And then I kind of slowly transitioned into becoming a, uh, a sex coach. And, and then it took me a little while to, to niche specifically in men as well. So I, yeah, I try to bring those two kind of worlds together, the spirituality, esoteric, mystical traditions, and the scientifically validated, medically accurate side of things. And, um, and that for me feels really, um, it feels right. It feels kind of holistic and it feels um, like it's in integrity for me. And it seems to resonate with people as well, particularly for guys to have that kind of grounded science backed um, evidence based, I suppose, information mm-hmm. is kind of what, what gets them hooked. And then it's kind of through that, that I'm able to introduce the more esoteric stuff. And that, that has worked for me in my practice and for the men that, that kind of come to see me. So um, that's kind of a roundabout way, I suppose, of getting to where I was. It certainly wasn't like a, oh, I'm going to become a sex coach when I'm older. It was just something I slowly drifted and navigated my way into. Mm, it is a beautiful journey. And being the partner to a very public, conscious bro, at times he's a little more conscious than bro, but more often than not, he's a heavy dose of bro. <laughs> uh, he's a big fan of your work too. And that's exactly why we really enjoy what you put out because it is that holistic approach. You know, we do have really, you know, we have close friends in this space that are one way or the other. They're heavy on that academic side. They're heavy on the, you know, very earthly challenges and it's, here's the prescription and here is the way to do it. And it's very logical. And then we also have, you know, amazing connections that are on the other side. And we personally, our, our flavor is that more in the middle. And I am always the, but why? Where's the mm. context for this? What's actually happening in here? And I'm, and if the answer is we don't really know, but it works, then I'm cool with that too. As long as there's the acknowledgement that we don't really know, but it seems to work. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And I love like, I love if the answer is we don't know, but we're trying to find out as well, yes. right? Like if we're like, I'm, I love research and sex and sexuality because like none of it's been done before so everything is kind of new learning and new data and information which is a i'm a big junkie for like new data and research so mm-hmm. um i love reading journal articles if anyone mm-hmm. kind of knows me personally they know i'm i'm always reading a journal article so 
uh, if someone's willing to kind of like investigate it and like learn more about it, I'm like, do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I tell my students that too. I'm like, just so you know, the work never ends. Like here's your reading list of all of the fun, packaged, cutesy, little sex education information. Like, let me know when you get to the peer reviewed journals. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Sign up, sign up for Taylor and Francis. T- sign up for NCDIB. Yeah, it's like here's all your, uh, here's all your databases to go check. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I could nerd out for a minute, but I want to get into um, myths of masculinity because you spoke quite a bit about your travels, about what you saw, and that early part um, of your journey into the work that you do now, and. You mentioned the dreaded toxic masculinity or either the shadow or whatever, whatever resonates with you listeners for some really not great traits and characteristics um, of typical masculinity before there's initiation, rites of passage, breakthrough, all of that. So I'm curious, what do you think are some of the, the myths in the midst of understanding masculinity? Yeah, some of the biggest things that pop up for me when I reflect on my own journey and when I talk to men is this idea that that guys are always like down to fuck. Um, I'm, I I didn't check in with you if I could swear, but that's like they're, if they're always oh, yeah. DTF, is like this yes. idea that guys are just like have this unwavering uh, high libido and that they'll always say yes to sex and that any hole is a goal and all of this kind of you know, mentality around men kind of being hypersexual. Uh, and, and tied in with that is that like men's sex, uh, sex drive or libido is, is surface level as well. They just want no strings attached, just physical, don't need an intimate connection, don't want any emotional depth to it. Um, they just want to kind of, you know, uh, the, the, the phrase that I often lean on here is uh, like get it up, get it in and get it off. And, um, and that's kind of the extent of men's sexual expression. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple of like myths tied into that. Um, and what I find is that's kind of really tends to be really detrimental because it reduces men down into like these sex crazed um, you know, caricatures of what it means to kind of quote unquote, be a real man or be a whole you know, man in terms of that holistic sense. Um, but it also like then if we, if we have these assumptions uh, or myths about men, then because we live in such a binary kind of world we also then imply certain things about women as well which men then project onto women and society projects onto women as well which is that you know women have less desire than men have and that women's sex drive and sexuality is you know hyper complicated because men's is hyper simple um and because men are like the dominant assertive ones with their expression expression of sexuality women are the passive receptive ones with their sexuality and and so there's you know not only myths that we have around male sexuality, but because of those myths as well, we also have myths around you know, women's sexuality. Um, so but that's, that's kind of the major one that pops up and that causes a lot of tension, particularly if I have a, um, if I have a couple that I'm working with, like there'll, there'll be something that, that arises typically with a mismatch in libido. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a very common thing for, for couples, um, particularly to go and see someone about. And something that is often, um, a cause of that mismatch or the, the, the stress um, that it causes is because the male partner in that heterosexual relationship doesn't have a higher sex drive as uh, his female partner. And the reason why it kind of causes this tension is 
because there's an expectation that he's supposed to have the highest sex drive and that he's supposed to do all the initiating and that he's supposed to take the lead and be dominant and be assertive with his sex drive. And, and, you know, and so there's this kind of feeling that something's wrong with him if he isn't hypersexual and mm -hmm. there's something wrong with his partner if she does want more sex than him, right? It's kind of, you know, that's not the quote unquote way things are supposed to be. So um, these myths have like real world implications, not only at a kind of societal level, but also at this kind of like microcosmic relational level as well. Um, and, and that kind of informs the way we interact with people. So that's um, to kind of answer your question in, a, in a, as a roundabout way as possible. That's like the biggest myth that I come up across. And I feel like that has its gross tendrils into other areas of our life. So, um, but there's, there's plenty more myths out there as well that I can speak into if you like. Yeah, that one is certainly a big one. And every time I do and ask me anything on my Instagram, I get a nice handful of libido. I have a stronger or I don't have at all. And so therein lies all kinds of questions for me. You know, they'll, they'll go, I just have, I have low libido and I don't know what to do about it. Or they'll say, uh, any advice? And I'm like, well, that all depends on a lot of other answers to way more questions. Mm. <laughs> um, and I always get a handful that are, I have a higher sex drive than my male partner. And I don't know how to communicate that. Cause there's so much that comes up, I think for a couple, and there's so much, so many assumptions and you hit it spot on that society shows men are these crazed primal animalistic creatures and these women are just soft and coy and on the side and hiding their sex and all of that. And we grow up and realize that that none of that shit's true. And you can absolutely say all the fucks here. This is a, there's a little <laughs> tiny explicit E on every episode. Oh, just amazing. In case. Yes. So, um, you know, if there are any myths, any additional myths that are like quick that you think you can think of, of course, I would love to hear them. And I'd also love to hear on the tail end of that. What about all of that you wish more men knew? Mm, cool. Um, so some other, some other big myths is that, uh, ejaculation and orgasm is the same thing. Uh, there's this, uh, understanding, you know, although it's, uh, in an incorrect understanding that because orgasm and ejaculation happen at the same time, kind of almost simultaneously, that they're one and the same and that to have an ejaculation means that you're like also going to have an orgasm. And it's really important to kind of learn that these are two separate physiological processes uh, and that you can have an ejaculation without an orgasm, just the same way that you can have an orgasm without an ejaculation. Uh, and so that tends to be a big light bulb moment for a lot of people um, when they learn about that, because it's like, oh, wow, if I can have an orgasm without ejaculating, then I don't have a refractory period, which means that I can have another orgasm. And then if I can do that, then I can probably have another couple more orgasms. And then this whole uh, can of worms kind of gets opened up with regards to uh, male sexuality. And I, I like to uh, not poke fun at, but kind of criticize the, the Masters and Johnson's model of male sexuality, which comes from the 1960s, which is this very linear, simple graph about um, the male sexual response which kind of looks like a, um, you know, it starts off at a, at a steep incline uh, as it goes to like this buildup of desire and arousal, and then it plateaus for a little bit. And then it's like this little peak, this little blip, which is like men's orgasm. And then there's this refractory or resolution period, which is this like steep decline. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of men, like that, that fits their narrative and that fits their experience of, of sex because that's kind of what we know. It's what we've been told. 
Uh, it's what porn exemplifies, for example. Sex education never tells us any otherwise. And so we just kind of fall into the trap of this almost self-fulfilling prophecy. So, um, so I, I love to educate about like, you know, your, your sex doesn't have to look like that. Your sexual expression experience doesn't have to look and fit nice, neatly on this graph. There's so many other ways of, of experiencing sexuality. So um, I like to just kind of like bust that myth by giving that really simple uh, anatomy lesson, I suppose, a physiology lesson that they're two separate things. Uh, there's also another myth as well, which is that like, an erection equals arousal as well. And then if a person with a penis has an erection, then it means he's turned on. Um, and so there's this interesting phenomenon known as uh, genital non-concordance, which is this idea that like your genitals can be showing signs of quote unquote being turned on, but you subjectively in your mind actually aren't turned on. And um, I, I've spoken to a lot of guys and, and the way this is like framed is like your erection's getting in the way, right? You kind of wake up with an erection. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, like it's just, it's not a subjective feeling of arousal. It's just kind of the body's response to stimulation or, or something. Uh, so, and that's a, like that on the surface seems like a, a cutesy kind of thing to talk about. But when you kind of dig into the deeper, um, murkier waters of that myth, that if a guy's got an erection, it means he's aroused, uh, it kind of leads to kind of scarier, uh, more uh, darker, under, you know, false understandings about male sexuality which is that you know if he's got an erection it means that he consented to that sexual experience and and it leads to this idea that quote-unquote men can't be raped as well which is um can be pervasive in some some circles and, and some areas of society so um, so that's a really important myth to, to bust is that you know you can be aroused and not have an erection and you can have an erection but not be aroused and um and they very often overlap but it's important to understand the the difference um that's another really common one um and i mean i could i could keep going but i want to i want to like speak into um like as a society we perpetuate these myths so not only do we do we kind of inherently intrinsically just kind of believe them because no one's really challenging them that's kind of what i've um given myself the mission to do is to like rewrite these myths and and challenge them and debunk them and and offer alternative ways of male sexuality uh but we we see it why i see it anyway i I kind of tune myself into it in media all the time like uh, i often think of the the caricature of um male sexuality being kind of hyper sexualized and always ready to have sex as uh the character joey from friends like the guy who's just no strings attached just always wants sex is always down for it like doesn't need anything deeper um and it's just like he really epitomizes that particular myth and it's yeah, and and so because it's it's kind of fed to us, the the kind of the more we see it, the stronger that myth becomes. And so, mm. and we'll very often, kind of, like I said before, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. They'll perpetuate that myth and kind of feed into it and think that that's what's natural and that's what's normal for them. And because you know, other people and and other genders and women are watching the same movies, the same. TV shows, they're getting the same narrative fed to them. So they'll also then perpetuate the same stereotypes and the same myths about male sexuality as well. So, um, so it's really like, I, I'm a big fan of, um, media literacy and like really criticizing and, and being critical of the media you're consuming. Like I'm not, I'm not saying don't watch friends and don't enjoy Joey as a character. What I'm saying is like, make sure that you're being mindful of like the messages you're consuming through that. Uh, and that extends to 
to pornography literacy as well. Like I'm, I think it's really important to be mindful of like the messages you're getting from the porn that you're watching as well. Porn's a type of media. So, um, so that, that's one of the strategies that I give to people with regards to like rewriting these narratives is like, just learn a little bit about those myths and then you'll see them pop up everywhere. And once you can start to be a bit more critical about it, you can start to form your own opinions. Like, is that a normal thing for <laughs> Joey to do? Or is that a normal thing for this male character to do? And uh, you start to realize that oh, actually these are like, they're just caricatures of the myths around male sexuality because it's mm. easy to write, right? It's easier to, you know, to just kind of play into those things because they're, they're kind of well-known. Um, but there's a lot of evidence, there's a lot of data, a lot of research that goes into um, kind of rewriting those stories about male sexuality. And something that I like to share specifically for the libido we were just talking about before is there's so many surveys out there asking couples if they've got a mismatch in libido and if they do, which way is the mismatch? Is it the male partner or the female partner in a heterosexual relationship who's got the higher sex drive? And it's a pretty even split, 50-50 of the guy's got a higher sex drive or the woman's got a higher sex drive. So you know, it, if the myth was to hold any water or hold any weight, it, we'd see a huge skew in one direction, but that's not the case because we actually are pretty similar when it comes to libido and sex drive. Um, there's a kind of, kind of couple of different variations, but um, we're seeing this 50-50 split across the board in survey after survey after survey, which kind of speaks into this idea that maybe there's not a lot of uh, credence to this idea that men have higher sex drives than women universally. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important to bring those snippets of data and snippets of research into kind of these mainstream conversations because otherwise we'll just pe- keep on perpetuating those same stories. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I can imagine that there's so many listeners that were like, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a point. <laughs> oh, and that's so good. And there was a couple of things that you more or less breezed over there that I imagine that there's a few people that are like, did he just say I can have an orgasm and then another orgasm and then another orgasm and not ejaculate? So that is a whole can of worms to dive into. Um, I'm tempted to ask you a practice or a resource for those that are just simply curious about that, because there's probably a number of people that will be listening to this, that that's the first time they've ever heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So a very, very simple practice for this is an exercise that uh, is commonly referred to as edging. And you can do this either solo if you have a penis, or if you've got a partner, you can do this with your partner if they've got a penis. And the idea of edging very simply is Say you've got your um, arousal level on a scale of, of one to 10 and you know, a, a level one arousal is kind of you know, not really turned on, not really thinking about desire or sex or, or anything. It's just kind of, you know, kind of flatline and 10 out of 10 is, um, is ejaculation and is orgasm, right? Those two things kind of happening at the same time. And then at around nine, 9.5, there's this uh, commonly called point of no return, which is like, yeah. no matter what, ejaculation is inevitable. It's, it's going to happen, right? The, the genie's out of the bottle. There's no putting it back in. And yeah. um, the, the practice of edging is, is firstly exploring that range. A lot, of, a lot of people with penises go from one to 10 quite quickly. And, they, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, like, wh- wh- what happened? Where did that, where did that you know, time go? Um, and, and so uh, the practice of edging not only is good for learning how to separate orgasm and ejaculation but it's also really good at learning how aroused you are so that if you are getting to that point of no return you can kind of slow things down and have that intuitive sense of 
of where you are um, on your arousal level so that you can last longer, for example. Um, but the, the idea is to, to kind of get as close to 9.5 as possible, as close to that tipping point, that point of no return as possible, and spend time in that zone. Spend time in level seven, level eight, level nine, level 9.2 and three and four. And you know, I, I set a rule of thumb of spending about 20 minutes in that particular zone. And when you start to do that, when you start to spend longer times there, and, and it's usually you know, build up by spending a minute in that space and then by spending three minutes and then by five minutes. When you spend about 20 minutes or so kind of stimulating and, and keeping that erotic energy you know, flowing and keeping that high arousal level going, and then you, and here's where the specific thing that I like to teach comes in with regards to separating orgasm and ejaculation is you're you kind of in this heightened state. You're already like on the precipice of, of orgasm. If you immediately take your stimulation away, so 20 minutes of this high aroused state, this peak state of pleasure, take your stimulation away and notice the sensations that arise in that particular moment right there. And, and what you'll, if you've done this before, if you start practicing, what you might notice is some kind of twitching sensations in the pelvic floor, or you might notice, um, uh, you might even notice uh, some pre-cum, um, which is like pre-ejaculate fluid. You might notice kind of like some pulsing and, and some spasming sensations in and around the perineum, which is that space in between the genitals and the anus. And that sensation, those kind of twitching sensations and um, the, the feelings that kind of come along with it, that is your orgasm. That's the beginning of your orgasm. Now, I'd even say the beginning of your orgasm starts way back when you're at you know, arousal level number one. Um, but we just kind of aren't tuned into it. Uh, and, and you can start to build those feelings and those sensations with practice, uh, such as like doing some Kegel exercises or some pelvic floor squeezings when you're in that state. Right? You can do it now when you're just sitting down and you have some sort of sensation. When you do it at that peak state of arousal, where you've been there for 20 minutes, it feels completely different and oftentimes can almost involuntarily spark those orgasmic fluctuations, those orgasmic spasms, um, which doesn't have an ejaculation associated with it. So it's just a way of like training your body to tease out those two physiological experiences, those two physiological processes. Uh, and I mean, on top of that, there's uh, you kind of learning about your body as well. You're learning about um, what pleasure feels like. You can, you can, what I like to call, increase your capacity for pleasure as well. Uh, you know, like I said before, typically we get to kind of 10 quite, quite immediately. There's, there's not a lot of build up to it. So spending a lot of time in that kind of heightened arousal zone can be helpful for then when you're with your partner kind of being in that peak state of pleasure. Uh, and, and I like to offer this um, to kind of close this practice is to kind of think about reframing your definition of orgasm as well. There's this idea that because orgasm is synonymous with ejaculation, that it's this kind of peak five-second sticky white crotch sneeze, right, that, that's at the top of this graph. And like the, what I like to share from a clinical perspective is there's actually no standard definition of orgasm. We've got a pretty standard definition of what ejaculation is. We know it's made up of these specific processes in the body but the last time I checked, there's over 26 different variations or different um, definitions of what an orgasm is. And if you ask a, a certain professional, they'll tell you a different thing from someone else. Like a physiologist will tell you it's the 
contracting and expanding of muscles and the regular rhythmic squeezes. An endocrinologist will tell you it's the secretion of hormones from you know, certain glands in the body. Uh, a psychologist might say it's a subjective feeling of pleasure in the mind. Uh, someone else might say something entirely, like a cardiologist might say it's an elevated heart rate. You know? So there's all these, there's no standard definition, I suppose, of orgasm, which is, can be like confusing and, and confronting for some people. But I love that because it's like, well, orgasm is whatever you want it to be. You know? like if, and, and if you can think of it as, of, of instead of it being a peak, kind of think of orgasm as a state and as a range on this kind of graph, uh, say between seven and 10 and anything in that state being orgasmic rather than orgasm being this one transient peak, then that opens you up to going like, oh, sweet. Well, I can, I can experience you know, everything in this 20 minute period as being one long orgasm that kind of fluctuates and goes up and down here. And, and, um, and so kind of reframing, uh, psychologically our, our story around orgasm could be helpful for helping the body kind of distinguish between the two um mm. and yeah and then the, the edging practice as well helps the body on a kind of physical level as well start to um start to separate those two things and and then usually it's a happy accident to have a non-ejaculatory orgasm usually you're doing the practices and you're kind of aware of it um and it's and you're just kind of in the moment and enjoying it and it it Although it's kind of semi-intentional because you're doing the practices, it is oftentimes like it's yeah, it's just an accident. It just kind of happens, and you're like, oh wow, that was that did that just happen? And guys <laughs> realize they've still got an erection, and they're still kind of feeling aroused, and like I didn't come, and like and it tends to be this like aha moment, and the body mm -hmm. kind of has this instant learning, and now the doors opened, and you can you can kind of continue going down that route and, and exploring more. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's our roundabout way. If you want a very, very simple or a simpler way of doing it, um, and this is something I'm a big proponent of, is uh, start doing some prostate massage and, and learn how to have a prostate orgasm, uh, which a prostate orgasm doesn't involve an ejaculation at all, totally because of the way the nervous system is wired, totally bypasses the ejaculation reflex. So you have an orgasm that doesn't involve an ejaculation at all, and you can have multiple ones of those. Um, so if you want to become a multi-orgasmic man, super easy, which no one seems to be talking about is stick a vibrator up your ass and have a prostate orgasm instead. One of the ways I choose to support myself on my health and pleasure journey is with a line of superfood products by Organifi. Some of my absolute favorites are the red juice for energy support. I love coffee, but reaching for that in the middle of the day can sometimes be a bit hard on my system. So I love opting for something like Organifi Red because it's mostly made of beets and berries and it allows me to support my energy throughout the day without any additional caffeine intake, which is great because there's no rest in the work that I do helping people who want a better sex life. And then when I'm ready to wind down, there's Organifi Gold, which is a blend of turmeric, ginger, and adaptogenic mushrooms like reishi and turkey tail. Life running a multifaceted sex and love coaching business can keep me super fired up. And this tasty superfood blend helps me transition into relax mode so I can be present with my babe and my pups. It also prepares me for a great night's sleep. And the best of the best in my book is the mental and digestive support because a healthy and supported gut equals a healthy mind, which is a lesson I continue to learn over and over again. Organifi Pure helps me with just that. Now, I wouldn't be sharing something with all of you that I didn't believe in or that I wouldn't use myself. So I'm sharing all of this with you from a place of love and authenticity. Now, 
Side note, I was in the same Burning Man camp in 2019 with one of the co-founders of Organifi. And I think that's pretty dope. (laughs) Kind of tells you a little bit about the company culture. So if you are looking for a better way to support your energy, your downtime, your digestion, your mental focus, or your overall health, check out Organifi at www.organifi.com forward slash TSC. The listeners of That Sex Chick get an additional 15% off of your order. Remember to visit www.organifi.com forward slash TSC. I just want to talk to you forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's like, you know what my next question is before I even go to get there. I'm like, yeah, now, now we're going to talk about butt stuff. Um, yeah, no, but quickly um, on the note of, because I, I feel like what you were just describing is so beneficial for all types of penis owners, whatever their sexual experience, whatever their their personal experience is with sex and with their penis. Um, it's it's relevant uh, because even though you were talking about how to separate ejaculation and orgasm and how to elongate that time and stay in that space, you're also speaking into people who have an uh, who are challenged by coming too quickly. You know, that's on my little list too. I'm like, there's, and people ask me that all the time. They're like, how do I help my partner? So I would imagine that the practices are very similar for me or anyone who is with a a partner who has a penis. What are ways that we can support the person? Because that's, that's another question I get with 70% of my audience being women. They're like, how, you know, or heterosexual women, they're like, how do I help and not Because a lot of times the questions that I'm just going to speak, we generally that we think we're asking that could help are very trajectory and they are doing way more damage than they are doing good. So if there's a way that we can help, I think that there's so many people that are like turning their, they're listening right now and they're like, I'm going to turn that part up. How do I do it? Yeah. I get asked this a lot as well. And this is, um, there's kind of two main answers that I give to this question. And the first is a physiological answer and the second is an energetic answer so um, i want to cover all bases here the the physiological answer is okay let's think of ejaculation right now let's think of like the physical characteristics of an ejaculation what kind of happens and and if you've seen a person ejaculate if you've ejaculated yourself you probably identify like um quickness of breath or even you know i know some men that hold their breath uh when they when they come um tensing or tightening up of the muscles this is known as myotonia which is that kind of like tightening up and squeezing sensation oftentimes there's also a pushing sensation that comes along with it as well a lot of guys are trying to kind of push their ejaculation out um there's uh, elevated heart rate because of this as well the, the kind of heart rate goes through the roof and we study this on graphs we know that to be the case um temperature goes up as well because of all this is happening in the body um and so we've got this cluster of symptoms here, this cluster of characteristics, um, which accompany ejaculation, which if you, let's say, you know, here's a thought experiment. If we took that cluster of characteristics out of the erotic context, out of the, the bedroom, so to speak, and we just applied it to a guy walking down the street, we just saw a dude all of a sudden, he kind of tenses up and he squeezes and he holds and he pushes and he's gritting his teeth and he's holding his breath and his heart rate goes up and he, his temperature elevates. We think this guy's having a panic attack or an anxiety attack you know and 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 it kind of looks like it as well like an ejaculation i like to say is like a pleasurable anxiety attack um because all of those 
characteristics are things that come from engagement of the sympathetic nervous system. They come from engagement of our fight or flight response. And there's an interesting theory that ejaculation is a survival response. It's part of our fight or flight response. There's actually a couple extra Fs thrown onto that, which is fight, fight, uh, sorry, flight, fight, freeze, fawn or fuck and um, feed as well. So feeding also being a, a survival response. And, and this is the idea that like, you know, in our, back in our ancestry, we, we had to ejaculate. We had to ejaculate to pass on our genes, to procreate, to ensure the survival of our species. We got really good at coming quickly as well to do that. The, the, the male, you know, human who ejaculated faster than his counterpart who lasted three hours was more likely to pass on his genes because they, they literally, you know, biologically kind of, you know, had that um, opportunity to. Uh, and they're in a less vulnerable space as well. So having sex is pretty vulnerable. You're vulnerable to attack from behind, you know, from saber-toothed tigers, whatever it is. So if you had sex quickly, you were less vulnerable, you know, um, and you were able to kind of get out of there and, and maybe go on and be alert somewhere else. So you know, at a kind of physiological level, uh, neurological level even, ejaculation is almost kind of meant to happen quite quickly. Uh, and so if we want to think about helping, we then just do the opposite of all those physical characteristics. Instead of speeding up the breath and kind of upregulating, try slowing the breath right down. Try diaphragmatic breathing, which is breathing down into the belly rather than thoracic breathing, which is up into the chest and up into the clavicles. Try really drawing the breath out rather than speeding it up. Instead of tightening up and tensing and, and trying to push for pleasure and push for that ejaculation, see if you can relax, see if you can let go encourage you to you know essentially it's just a practice of slowing down you know not only in terms of time but in terms of just like your physical you know how your body's going um you know try lowering the heart rate try relaxing the body try releasing tension from the body and you can do that in, in whatever way feels right for for you or, or for your partner um some things that i like to suggest are um eye gazing can be a really beautiful way of just kind of slowing things down and coming into that um what is it like resonance with your partner as well coming into um there's a word here that starts with e uh, entrainment with your partner right like syncing up with them and um, that can be really helpful we don't realize that the way that we breathe and the way that we uh, hold tension in our body can impact and influence our partner as well and this is a part of a, a spin-off idea here which i call sexual leadership which is like you can through this uh beautiful phenomenon of entrainment you can kind of carry your partner through their sexual experience if you want things to build up start breathing quicker and start kind of like holding a bit more tension and a bit more energy in your body and watch that happen for your partner and if you want things to slow down slow your breath down and start to slow your body down and relax your body a little bit notice your partner do the same very often we have this kind of uh, symbiotic relationship uh, when we're having this sexual experience and we can influence our partner's experience by kind of adjusting our own um, that's a really interesting thing to do uh, so that's like the first physiological kind of idea is just do the opposite of what an ejaculation looks like uh, and and you, and just notice what happens the uh, other element to this question the kind of energetic idea is like if if a guy's coming quite quickly typically it means he doesn't feel safe right there's this idea that again tied into this idea that ejaculation is a survival response it's that kind of fight or flight response the stress response 
feeling safe and feeling psychologically or energetically like this is a container where there's no judgment there's no expectation like it's it's okay for me to come quickly that can also be something that's really helpful to just kind of own and name if you come quickly that's fine like it like something that's really helpful is that doesn't mean that sex is over right there's this again one of the myths is that if you're in a heterosexual kind of relationship when the guy comes that's the end of sex right like that's when the porn video finishes that's when a lot of people kind of you know think oh, i'm just going to roll over and have a cigarette and go to bed uh, so this idea that if you've ejaculated then sex is done uh it can be really limiting right because if you're coming quickly then oh god now that, that's that's over but if you think well what does that actually have to mean that sex is finished what if i after this i uh, we we do we use some toys or we use our mouths or we use our fingers and we we do something else entirely and then wait you know a refractory period typically lasts for about 15 to 20 minutes and we just keep on being sexual for another 20 minutes until the erection comes back and you're able to to be sexual again so um that can be really helpful kind of creating that container that safe space so to speak for him to be like oh cool it's not it's not a big deal if i come quickly um because oftentimes what's happening psychologically or mentally for guys that come quickly is oh my god i hope i don't come i hope i don't come i hope i don't come which you know becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of like oh god i i i came too quickly and and that compounds the next time they have sex to go oh god it happened last time i hope it doesn't happen this time and you know psychologically there's this idea of um you know the uh, don't don't think of the purple elephant right and um in order to not think about that purple elephant you've got to think about it right and, and so if you're saying don't you know don't come don't come don't do this you've got to put that at the forefront of your mind. And, um, and so if you're able to kind of take that thought process out and take those anxious thoughts out, it's, a lot of it's anxiety, um, then uh, that safe space can kind of help with him not feeling like there's that um, anxious drive in order to come quite quickly. So uh, that's, the, that's the kind of energetics that I like to talk about. And there's some kind of tips in there with regards to you know, how to create that space. So good. I actually answered that question yesterday on an ask me anything. Um, I do them about once a week and I have kind of more or less the same questions every time, but they're so great because new people come funneling into our community and our audience. And so I think I kept it very short and sweet. I said, catch his attention, put your hands on his face, look into his eyes and take nice, big, deep breaths in. Yeah. Beautiful. Like, Let's just start with that. And then I think, you know, beyond that, then uh, we can look at some of the subtleties that are at play, other ways to ground and be present and to, because I don't think a lot of men would really say, oh yeah, I come too quickly because I don't feel safe. They might not be able to, uh, you know, put that language to that experience just yet. And so, you know, it's like, oh, well, there's not feeling super grounded or feeling very focused on the tip of our deck. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, a, a very practical way of of lasting longer is to focus less on your dick. You know, yeah. like I, I say to guys, you're not just your dick; you're actually one big dick. And if you if you think of like we've got nerve endings from the tips of our toes to the top of our heads, and um, those nerve endings mean that we can experience pleasure through them. So you know, just focus on other areas of your body. If if you're feeling like really sensitive on your cock, and 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 like it's going to make you come if you keep on touching it stop fucking touching it then like touch another part of your body and explore other areas of pleasure in your body. Uh, that can just be a really practical, straightforward way of 
still being in that space of pleasure, still enjoying the moment, still experiencing some sort of connection with your partner that involves touch, that involves pleasure, that involves desire and arousal, but just doesn't involve your penis, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's a very practical way of of working through it. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So I would be remiss if I didn't circle back to the prostate conversation and that question, because you like quickly brought that up. And (laughs) I think if I was like, okay, well, you know, we've been talking for X amount of time and see you later, Cam, thanks for coming on the show. And people would be like, what about the prostate questions? (laughs) So I think we touched on, um, we touched on more the, the premature ejaculation. We touched on, uh, extending orgasm and being in that space, separating orgasm and ejaculation. Of course, some people are challenged by my dick doesn't cooperate. Sometimes it's soft, sometimes it's hard. It's hard and soft at some of the most inconvenient times, one way or the other. Um, And we kind of more or less touched on that subject. So I want to go in, no pun intended, (laughs) uh, to the prostate because I get that question a lot too. Uh, I get the question is twofold. How do I do it? How do I encourage my partner to do it with me on both sides? And a lot of times women will come to me and say, I, I want to bring this subject up to my male partner. And how do I do it? They're an absolute no on butt stuff on either direction. So whether that's for her or for him, again, speaking very heteronormatively. Um, so just your general thoughts and feels on. Prostate, prostate massage. What is it? How do you make it happen? Why do we want to do it? Mm, beautiful. So this is a whole uh, another podcast topic. I feel, but I um, some, some things that pop up for me immediately is like, firstly, we have sexual preferences, and you know, you can't force your partner to do something that they don't want to do. So I just want to like clearly state like boundaries boundaries and limitations like we have our limitations and so that might be fully off the table for someone either always or just for now and you know pressuring them into doing anything is is never going to end well so that's the first thing i just wanted to kind of get off the bat straight away um the the thing that can help like if it's not a boundary but there's just resistance to it and they're like oh you know i've got you know, there's nothing against it i just kind of don't really want to do it or there's like this resistance and you kind of feel like maybe they would be interested in it but there's just things that are blocking them from wanting to do it um some of those things that pop up for me in my work are some of those resistances are there's this fear of pain like this fear that it's going to hurt and what i find interesting is like where does that idea come from and and the two areas that i've kind of identified is um is from porn this is idea that there's a whole genre of porn called painal which is like you know painful anal sex and um, and that, you know, it's, it's quite common. So this is idea that like, you know, anything going in, you know, to your anus is going to hurt. Uh, and that, and that also comes from like prostate, uh, exams and prostate checks, you know, got, you know, the, the, the dreaded rubber glove and bend over and cough is, you know, can, can, can be painful and uncomfortable. And, and, um, and so that's another story that a lot of guys hold, uh, but there's ways of mitigating that pain. And, and the easiest way to mitigate it is just like, firstly, use lube go slow, breathe. You like, no one's expecting you to stick a whole fist up there the first time that you're trying it. Like you can just go like one knuckle, one little phalange of your finger. Um, doesn't have to be anything more than that. So, uh, so slowing down and and using lube can be really helpful for mitigating any pain and any fear around that. Um, the next part, uh, that tends to 
build that resistance is um, like hygiene. Like it's it's you know it's gross. There's going to be poo. Oh god, like it's going to smell. Yada yada yada. Um, and so there's ways of mitigating that as well. Just like I mean, firstly, personal hygiene practices are, are an easy way. Just like wash your ass. Men apparently the thing is like men not not wiping or washing their ass properly, but something I've seen online. And so just like wash, you know, just actually be cl- clean and, and practice, you know, cleanliness. Um, but then also like using, you know, if you're using a finger, you can put rubber gloves on obviously and, and lube up. Um, you can have, uh, if you're using a toy, you can put a condom over a toy. Uh, you can put, you know, sheets down. You can have a shower. Like you can even do it in the shower as well if you're really kind of feeling adventurous. So there's, there's ways of mitigating that kind of hygiene factor. But hiding behind that is like this gross factor, like this idea of like, oh, it's like a little bit disgusting because it's an area of my body that's, you know, um, for excretion and not for, you know, um, putting anything in. It's, it's an outhole, not an inhole, so to speak. Um, and, and so like that, and that, so that's a, that's a tougher one. Um, and typically the way that I, I work through that is like make it a really, um, pleasurable experience for all the senses right so like really um like what what turns you on in terms of like the space that you're in what, what are some other things that arouse you and can you build those things in to your um prostate play and any type of anal play because there, there's an idea in in sex therapy um called the dual response model of sexual arousal which is this idea that like kind of got this seesaw happening or this like um bar scale happening the liberty scales where on one side you've got your excitation system, everything that excites you and turns you on. And then on the other side, you've got this inhibition system, everything that kind of like dampens and, and turns you off. And one of the things that's a really big turnoff, almost universally, is disgust. If you're disgusted by something, it's pretty hard to be turned on by it. Um, I, I often think like one of our biggest senses for disgust is, is our olfactory senses, our sense of smell. If you smell rotting garbage, it's pretty hard to be turned on in that moment, right? If you're getting funky with your partner, and the garbage truck drives past and you kind of get a big whiff of it, it kills the mood, right? It's an it's a, it's mm-hmm. a inhibitor. Uh, so that feeling of disgust can be quite strong um, if you've got this idea of what, you know, what your ass is for, what your anus is for. But if you can stack the deck, so to speak, in that kind of excitatory system, then the disgust not only becomes a little bit more minimal because it's, it's competing against all this stuff that you've built to turn yourself on, also, when you're in your pleasure, when you're in your arousal, when you're in this kind of erotic space, those, um, those disgust kind of triggers tend to be uh, uh, inhibited as well. Uh, it's the reason why you would do things sexually that you probably wouldn't do if you were just kind of having dinner, right? All the, the smells and the bodily fluids and the sweat and the bodies kind of uh, smashing together is... Um, yeah, it can be can be like a pretty disgusting kind of you know thing, but um, but we we do it when we're in that space of of heightened states of pleasure because our our um, inhibition gets gets kind of heightened. So um, so make the whole thing a pleasurable sensory experience to kind of mitigate the disgust. Uh, and then the, the the last one, the big one, the big resistance that I often come up against is either very overt homophobia or mm-hmm. at least internalized homophobia. And this idea that any type of anal penetration is the exclusive domain of, of gay men. And, um, and so like, there's a few ways to work through this. I like to bring in a little bit of um, data, which is around uh, 
sex acts and who's doing what. And there's a couple of surveys that I often cite. Um, one is, or there's a couple actually, but um, one idea is like the survey of uh, gay couples, gay men, and the, the last sex act that they did when they were being sexual with one another. And only 33% said that it involved uh, a penis in, a, in an anus, that, that it involved penetrative anal sex. Uh, and then there's other surveys of straight couples, of you know, heterosexual couples, asking, you know, have you ever experimented with uh, female to male anal penetration? And about 25 to 28% say that they have either done it before or do regularly. And so like that discrepancy, 33% to like 28% um, is pretty, like it's pretty close to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I would also go on to say that because there's the, stigma around men exploring their ass, straight men exploring their ass, that I'd say that heterosexual number is probably higher, but because they're they're underreporting. Um so there's this idea that like regardless of your sexuality and orientation, we're doing it at the same rate because it's a pleasurable sex act. And you know, regardless of of what your preferences are or what your proclivities are, people are doing things at, at, at roughly the same rate because it's pleasurable. Um, and as human beings, we, we like pleasure. So, um, so if, if the internalized kind of homophobia or something that's popping up, then, um, you know, that can be helpful is like destigmatizing me like, Oh, some education around like, Oh, it's actually, you know, something that's quite common in, in straight couples that can kind of help. Another thing is like, I mean, I, sometimes if I'm, if I'm really being blunt about it, I'll tell uh, a guy to just grow up, um, and that there's nothing wrong with being gay and, and that sometimes work if i just like really have that harsh challenge um but some other things that can really help is um like just giving him like permission there's this idea that um you know if you're a guy you've got to be as like cock oriented cock centric and and you know that and that's what straight male sexuality looks like uh, but exploring your body especially like by yourself um like there's not like you, that, that's solo sexuality. You're not doing anything heterosexual or homosexual or you know, whatever if you're just by yourself, regardless of what it is that you're doing, you're, you're by yourself. So it doesn't kind of mean anything. Um, and then also if you're with a woman, then anything you do together is by definition heterosexual sex because it's with a woman and you're attracted to this woman. And <laughs> there's this, I've seen like a meme floating around that's like there's this, uh, the switch inside of men's asses that if you press, it turns them gay. That's like the, the kind of mentality that a lot of guys have. Like if anything goes in there, it's got to flick that switch and they're going to turn gay. And uh, it's like, that's no, that's not how sexuality works. Um, so those are the biggest resistances and there's, there's more ways to work through this, but I just like to kind of put those out there. Um, and why is it beneficial and, and pleasurable to explore prostate play and anal stimulation? Cause we've got a shitload of nerves in our ass and it feels good to stimulate those nerves as it would any other particular nerve in our body. Um, but particularly the, the anus has like temperature receptive nerves and pressure receptive nerves and soft touch nerve endings. So all these different types of sensations that we wouldn't, you know, I guess we, we would still get them if we were touching our genitals, but we'd get more if we also incorporated anal penetration in. So it's, it's opening yourself up to more pleasure. Um, it's also really, helpful for um like if you're if you're talking prostate play and prostate stimulation like prostate massage is really helpful for prostate health you know the it's like getting a massage anywhere in your body if you're releasing stagnation and 
and tension and tightness, like it, it, it's beneficial. It's helpful, like getting a, a knot massage out of your shoulder. Um, squeezing and, and gently massaging the prostate can help release any stagnant prostatic fluid, kind of cleans out those reproductive ducts, um, helps with uh, seminal um, quality as well. So if you're wanting to conceive, um, then it can help be helpful to do a prostate massage. There's also links with, you know, uh, stagnant prostatic fluid and prostatitis uh, in large prostate. And there's also links from prostatitis to prostate cancer as well. It's not mm-hmm. causal, but it's definitely correlational. Um, so that can be helpful for, for that as well, just in, in regular reproductive um, health. Uh, so that's one, one reason why it can be, can be great to, to incorporate it into your, your kind of playtime. And also it's because you can have a prostate orgasm. And like I alluded to before, a prostate orgasm, because of the way the nervous system is wired, doesn't involve an ejaculation. The prostate's uh, innervated by a nerve called the hypogastric nerve or the hypogastric uh, plexus. It's a kind of cluster of nerves around the prostate. And the hypogastric plexus, what's interesting about it is that it carries predominantly parasympathetic fibers, which means that it's connected to the parasympathetic branch of our nervous system, the rest and digest response, the relaxation response. Um, And we can orgasm through that particular part of the body. And, you know, like I said before, ejaculation is part of the survival response, that kind of sympathetic branch of the nervous system. So if we're having this prostate orgasm, we totally bypass and completely kind of, you know, sidebar the ejaculation and have a totally different orgasmic experience. And oftentimes it's more full body. It's more diffuse. It's more um, intense because it's going through the parasympathetic nervous system, which branches out to a whole bunch of different areas of the body that the sympathetic nervous system doesn't touch on. Um, and it also doesn't include an ejaculation. So there's no refractory period. Um, and then one other reason is because it makes you a better lover. If you are a person who does the penetrating and you've never been penetrated yourself, then you don't know experientially what it's like to have some piece of anatomy or something inside of you. So especially in a heterosexual context, if like men, if you are wanting to learn more about your partner and what it's like for her to receive, to receive you and to be penetrated and to be receptive. And, um, and you, you want to learn the subtleties of like how slow you need to go, how lubed up she needs to be, um, you know, how any change in um, angles or intention or energy can kind of shift how she's feeling. If you want to like literally embody and learn that, having her penetrate you or just having you penetrate yourself and exploring penetration is a surefire way to like embody that learning to like, you know, you can, you can read it, you can, you can be taught about it, but it isn't until you like embody that and experientially learn it that you, that you can really kind of um, take it to the bank. So, so uh, it, it makes you a better lover as well is what I like to say, um, just to kind of cap things off. Yes. Fuck. Yes. I'm here for all of that. It reminds me of the conversations that I've had with, with um, some of my mentors in the kink space and BDSM space that the common in order to be a great dom, you have to learn how to sub. Yeah. And so it's like to be a great lover. I've never heard it put that way, but that definitely resonates. makes sense to be a great lover, learn how to take it too. And also enjoy it. Like, you know, regardless of your sexual orientation, we're all hedonistic fuckers. So (laughs) it's like, what gets the rocks off and ask lots of questions to yourself. Why, how, what's going on? What's here for me to learn? How can I experience more pleasure? I think there's so many men that, um, you know, 
will go to have an orgasm and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so intense just as it is already. I don't need to learn anymore. Like what will happen if I learn anymore? And I hope that if anyone who is listening to this conversation thinks something like that, or they have a partner that thinks something like that, you know, that this conversation helps to have them ask more questions, deeper, more introspective, what's going on here? What, what is, what would I like my human experience to be? How would I like to approach my sexuality? How would I like to grow that experience more, be a better lover, all of the above? This was such an informative show, Cam. Thank you so freaking much. I loved all of the main points that we talked about from masculinity to erection and the ejaculation minus the orgasm happening at the same time. And of course, rounding it out with a cherry on top, talking about, well, let's just say a walnut on top for <laughs> prostate orgasms. Um, again, I'm so appreciative for you taking your time uh, because I know it is past midnight where you are. It certainly is. Yep. And you are, is it any day now about to become a new dad or is it soon? Yeah. Where we just hit 38 weeks pregnant. So it's could be, it's very touch and go. It could be any time yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel just an extra layer of gratitude for you taking your time as you're preparing. And I can only imagine what that is like. Uh, my partner and I will be entertaining that idea uh, <laughs> come the beginning of 2022. So we'll, we'll see, but congratulations ahead of time. Thank you again so much for coming onto the show. People can find you best where? Uh, on Instagram at the cam Fraser. And then also uh, on my website, which is cam Fraser.com. Amazing. And you have a show yourself. Is that right? Yeah, it's called the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast, where we talk all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. Yes. Go give Cam a follow. Go give Cam's show a listen and a subscribe. Y'all keep going down this rabbit hole. It is juicy. It is heartfelt. There's so much available there. So here's my permission. If you need anyone to give you permission and you won't give it to yourself, I'm going to give it to you today keep doing this work, keep being curious, keep looking these things up and trying things with yourself, with your lovers, so on and so forth. And fuck, like have more pleasure, experience more pleasure. Have an amazing rest of your day, y'all. Of course, subscribe, send a review. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I am so curious. All right, y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.